When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, 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 we're back. Brighton Rock Podcast, episode 51 with me and Peter. And our special guest today, who's another debutante, it's an old mate of mine, Simon Tipple. Si, how you doing? I, uh, yeah, I'm good. Cheers, mate. Lovely. I see you've got some new headphones, especially for the occasion I've been hearing about. Yeah, got them this week just for you. <laughs> Excellent. Lovely. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, we were going to have you on, actually, just before, well, it was arranged just before lockdown. I think it was literally about five days afterwards. I think we provisionally planned to have you on. So a little bit of a delay in getting you on, um, but welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um what we're going to do with this one, we're just going to ask you about your uh, your background with the Albion. A few bits of interest, I think, that listeners may be uh, intrigued with, uh, Albion related and otherwise. And if there's time, we're going to um, subject you to the quiz as well. The latest victims, Peter, isn't that? It's going to be uh, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we want to start with, really, was you just telling us about your story of how you came to be an Albion fan, uh, when it was and where it was and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, I didn't have much choice in it really I was taken to the Goldstone as a kid um, they never made a record or noted down which exact game it was which has always been a bit frustrating so I couldn't tell you exactly what the first game was but um, it would have been early 90s my sort of first memories are sort of roughly Paul McCarthy, Kurt Nogan, um, Steve Foster, um, was it Paul McDonald on the way? I can't memories that's best but yeah I remember yeah, I think- <laughs> mid-90s so um that's where it where it all started um um my my nan my dad my auntie um would take me to every game so it's a nice sort of family um day out and um it's been the same ever since really yeah it's really indelible um family link isn't it and, yeah, uh, yeah. to see your family with you at games as well. Uh, you've also got two brothers. You're the oldest, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, two brothers, uh, Richard and Chris. They've both got um, season tickets in the North Sound as well. Yeah, um, they're ardent fans as well. Yeah, yeah, they're right at the back row by the uh, by the big screen. Um, 
I'm I'm a little way away from them because when we um, first moved into the Amex, I didn't have a season ticket because I was um, sort of filming games for the club back then, so I didn't actually need a need a ticket. But I'm in the North Stand as well now. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get on to that in a bit more detail yeah. actually about the filming uh, that's coming up. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all good. And I know Rich pretty well as well. And hello to Rich if he happens to listen to this, knowing you're on here. Uh, anyway, in fact, speaking of Rich. Um, how we know each other is through the connections to where I'm speaking to you from now, where I've been living for ages, Enfield. Um, we met because I was driving around in Enfield one day and I just caught sight of an unusual sight in Enfield, Albion Tops, on their way into Tesco. <laughs> I thought, what the hell's going on here? Um, so I made the point of um, stalking you to where you were living close by <laughs> and say, all right, guys, from Brighton fan and everything. You thought I was Palace at first, didn't you? You thought it was more likely when someone stopped you. But we get some stick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how dare you, sir? <laughs> um, so I think it was Rich was living in Enfield, actually, rather than you, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, um, yeah, Richard was there first because he was going to the University of Middlesex, I think it was. Um, yeah. And were you just visiting or had you moved to London at that point? I think you were visiting, weren't you? I think I was, yeah. I did move up to Enfield not that long after, though, because we both lived in Enfield at the same point. Um, yeah. So I was working... Well, still am working technically in in London, where the office is based. Um, so I ended up moving to Enfield, as it was a nice commute from there down into um, Old Street, where my my office was based. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get on to uh, what you do for a living uh, shortly as well. But um, yeah, I mean that was good, and we we've um, we had some some fun times, away days, and everything. Because you're in Enfield, it's a rare treat for me to have an Albion fan so close to home, so you can meet up for games you're not going to. Is handy. And also for travel, I was driving to a few games at the time, so um, it was quite handy to just jump in the car, share the ride, which is good. Um, we had some madcap adventures, uh, quite a few good away days. Um, and also what I really enjoyed was uh, our little TV studio that you set up for us for the uh, Leo Ajoa playoff clinching game. Do you remember that one? I think you had four screens uh, up in your house. Did I? I don't remember that bit. I remember... <laughs> I remember the goal and celebrating it and where yeah. we were. I don't remember now the screens. <laughs> yeah, you had, you had, I think you had two TVs rigged up and then you had a couple of laptops or something watching the other games. <laughs> so we're watching all that, saw their shenanigans at Reading as well, which is quite funny, seeing them think they've uh, clinched it. Um, I do remember you virtually punched me in the face when we scored the, uh, the Ajoa goal. Uh, we went utterly nuts, which is great. <laughs> I, I still remember the um, Luton fan I was living with at the time on the other sofa, just sat there completely <laughs> unaffected, just looking at us like, what? <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, happy days indeed. And you, um, yeah, you were living in, I think, another place in... Enfield for a while and then eventually I think with your job you were able to work from home largely speaking weren't you um yeah tell listeners what you do for a living it's quite a good job I think a lot of people might be jealous <laughs> um I work for Sports Interactive who make the Football Manager computer game um and I've been doing that for 13 years I think now um I started off there as a tester for the first year. I was um, out of university looking for work and it was meant to be a three month summer job. Um, and I basically never left. Um, and after the first year of just playing the game and getting paid for it, I moved into the research team. Um, so now I work on um, putting together the game's database, which is a database of all the football players in the world, basically. Um, we cover everything. So, um, 
I sort of organise getting that all put together. Yeah, it's utterly mad the amount of knowledge you must have by necessity with the job, isn't it? Um, and it's specialisms with low, lower league, like non-league, isn't it? I think. Or are you not doing that now? No, I did. Um, I did the head research for the uh, for the national league for I can't remember if it was a year or two years, two years. But um, I'm sort of more on the sort of overseeing the, all of it rather than actually researching anything or scouting anyone myself um so i'm making sure our our tools are working and updated with the latest of fields and tables of information we want to collect on teams and clubs and competitions and referees and anything there is to do with football um so actually sort of in terms of like my my knowledge i i do know about football but actually day to day I'm not really necessarily like looking at random player from random club in France and going oh he's a good player I'm just making sure the people who are doing that have got um, the correct systems and are abiding by our guidelines so everything's structured correctly and you don't have ridiculously good teams or players in one country where it isn't realistic and making sure everything's nice and balanced yeah it's great fun. Do you, and Peter, do you play it at all? I don't actually. Um, but do you... I used to. I, I think I tend to play FIFA more these days on because I've got PlayStation rather than a um, PC. I just had to use my laptop not so much for games, but I used to play it a lot um, in the old hmm. days. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think it's a lot more. It's a lot more difficult now. I think probably it's kind of so it's a lot more intricate, which I think is really good in a lot of ways. But yeah, I've a little bit struggled with sometimes. So I got fed up with losing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I haven't played it, but that, the only reason I haven't is really because I'll probably get crucified if I did. I would, I would spend an inordinate amount of time on there, and I'm already uh, giving too much time. Yeah, over to- yeah I, I used <laughs> to spend like hours on, in a, every day just like playing it continually, and it's like, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, now, people say now I just want- spend that doing podcasts instead on Brighton. <laughs> Yeah, we just found a different way to use loads of time up during the week on football. But yeah, I mean, if I won the lottery, and people say, oh, what would you do with it? You'd, you'd get bored if you retired early. No, <laughs> I'll just sign up for that now. Get Simon to get me a copy. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it, I mean, it sounds like a brilliant job to do. You're doing something, you're a massive sports geek, aren't you, in football in particular. Isn't that yeah. the ideal job? Especially as it's, I know you're not in the office much, but the, the office conditions were great as well, when they? Open plan, casual hours. Yeah, yeah. Play in the background. yeah it's a dream job for me really i because i started playing um sports interactives titles when i don't know i was ridiculously young i think it was they had um cm italia i think it was i think i got a demo of it on a magazine or something and i remember coming back from football practice as a kid and playing it around the mate's house kind of thing um and i basically played every version since um my main memories of university, at least the first year, were sort of playing it in the dorms with my fellow housemates and stuff there. Um, so for that to become a job when obviously I'm also massively into my football and will watch mm. any football I can pretty much as well. Um, it just ties the sort of hobbies and together and um, yeah. I get paid for it, which is lovely. <laughs> which is brilliant, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's really the ideal job if you're into that, um, which is superb. Um, speaking of um, the doing something you love, you were doing something beforehand um, to do with. I think we'll probably get into that a little bit later on, actually. Um, but you had an association with the club. We'll come to just before we get into that. Um, just with regard to going back to Brighton, 
then into lockdown. I mean, how, how was the latter for you? Because because you're working from home, I guess you carried on working, I'm presuming, and it wasn't much different, was it? Yeah, so work-wise, um, it hasn't really changed too much for me personally. Um, I, instead of going to, I used to go to London for a couple of days every other week. Um, so I'm just at home all the time now. Um, hmm. Obviously missing, there's a, quite a few of us who work um off-site so I'm missing sort of getting together with those every other week and catching up and sort of seeing my friends I suppose in that respect um but work hasn't changed too much um obviously there's um some differences in terms of um the footballing world and how we react to what's Hmm. happening or predict what's going to happen and that sort of thing but um no I've been quite fortunate um I've been relatively unaffected Hmm, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into that Albion stuff, shall we? Next. Um, so, when I knew you, I think you already were doing. When I first met you, I think you were already doing the the, the stuff that you were doing. Tell us about that. Where, when, and how did that come about? Well, it started actually at Southampton because um, I went to Solent University in Southampton, and um, in the second year of our course, they were looking for people to come in and film games for Saints TV because I think. The second year I was at uni was their first year down after being relegated from the Premier League. And um, they wanted sort of multi-camera coverage of the games. They could put extended highlights online and that sort of thing. So um, I jumped at that chance and basically sort of volunteered to do as much as I possibly could for them. So I ended up doing um, reserve games for them at their Staplewood uh, training grounds at first, as well as the first team. Um, then I moved from doing the sort of highlight cameras like behind the goal to doing sort of halfway line tactical camera um, work. Um, and then I was working quite closely with their um, performance analysts at the time, trying to um, put clips together and stuff like that. And I remember working with him when they had the um, the playoff semi-final against Derby, I think it was, um, and sitting in sort of the... Um, room with the assistant manager and stuff like that and showing different clips of the game and we're looking at different players and that sort of thing which is kind of cool um but that kind of finished when um I left university and moved away from Southampton and um I sent letters to a lovely letter from Southampton um saying you know I'd done a great job for them and all that sort of thing and I basically almost just sent that to every club in the country Sorry, my voice went there. Um, because at that point, I was just thinking I just want to work in, in football and I've got some experience here. So I'll send a letter off and see what I can do. Um, and it was thankfully the Albion who got uh, back to me, not in terms of, um, it wasn't um, employed work, but it was just more, more, more experience, which, you know, when you're freshly out of university, that's kind of what you're looking for, really, um, or expecting to get. Um, so I was going to... Um, the University of Sussex, or was it? Yeah, and the filmings of the under eighteen games and stuff like that. And I was going to with Dean and film the games there and that sort of thing. Um, so, and that was I think originally with um, John Dukes. I think was the data analyst then at the time, and then he got replaced um, a little bit later by. Um, Oh my god, my memory's going now. <laughs> on the spot. It's <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I did that um at with Dean and that went through to when we we're at the Amex, which was um 
a bit surreal because you know I get got to sort of um, go and say this wasn't like every time, but I'd get to go into the manager's office, for example, with Gus and have a cup of tea as he was chatting or something like that. Um, more often than not, it was with the um, the media guys and um, Ferret doing the stats and stuff like that. Um, it was very very privileged position really to be us moving into a brand new stadium and getting to see everything from yeah. from the inside you know inside the players tunnel and all that sort of stuff um so that was really cool um i missed out a little bit in terms of you know being able to be the fan in the stands and you know when uh when buckley got that winner having to sort of stay composed and make sure i'm i'm tracking <laughs> him running off celebrating but celebrating yeah. a lot inside um so yeah, that was a a, a great experience. Um, yeah, yeah. I should it's probably just clarify. I was, I was never actually though employed as such by the club. It was always just mm. sort of like voluntary. Um, yeah, but it just went like, on for a, a bit of time because it's yeah. Good. So I think that's why I struggled with anything like that or sports journalism or whatever as well. If Brighton were involved, it just the the fact that you're supposed to like kind of be doing a job while watching Brighton would just be almost impossible I think from my point of view I just couldn't you know it's just like you just I just get so swept up in the game I forget that I had to do any task that was kind of involved yeah there's pros and cons I think um you know obviously I had to get there early I couldn't have a drink before the match and all that sort of stuff because mm. I'm working and obviously you know it's lovely to now be able to have a beer and relax and go in the north stand and say whatever words I want to say at the ref <laughs> and all that sort of thing but equally to have been able to have that opportunity to see how things work on the inside mm. and get to see how things work in football a little bit and hear what's going on a little bit and all that sort of thing was um was really cool yeah I mean, it's been amazing in terms of just with the timelines just to clarify so when when you were there did you miss out on the time when you moved from the university to the training ground at Lansing? i can't remember if you yes um, I think so. At least I never had to go to the um, new training yeah. ground. Um, my last season doing it was the um, playoffs semis with losing to Palace. Yeah. So when Gus went, I went. Um, hmm. I think that they sort of um, made things a lot more. Um, they put more controls in place, I think, in terms of who had access to those areas and that sort of thing. And I think you had to be... Um, employed like full-time and that sort of thing which all made, made yeah. sense and there was a you know obviously the club going from from with Dean to the Amex so a lot of structural changes yeah. and they were trying to think that you know to employ people to hit certain criteria for whether it's the uh, category ones and all that sort of thing but um yeah they were very strict weren't they in fact it felt like a while before any of the media got a chance to really get in there themselves in terms of you know the big the big fish like football focus or whatever there didn't seem to be any major coverage at all for quite a while there and even now it's something fairly low-key apart from that front entrance area that they always broadcast from um but yeah interesting times and i'm sure the gus stuff must have been fascinating for the little bits you gleaned when you were in his sort of like his uh earshot shall we say um i mean did, what sort of things did you pick up in terms of whether were there some interesting tidbits of um his workings or the way he kind of approached things because um, I think he asked you to to play back some replays of little clips to prepare for explanations to players or something. He said at one point, "You need that kind of thing." Is that part of what you were doing? Possibly. I've got such a terrible memory, Russ. You probably remember better <laughs> than me. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I personally wouldn't have actually sort of clipped those clips or anything like that. I was just um, moving the camera left and right. It wasn't wasn't too much, that much to it. But, um, I did get to go down to the little office they have, um, or used to have sort of down the players' tunnel, and um, where they they look at everything and they can go to whatever minute and they can have a look at was that offside, was that not offside, and sometimes you'd often. Maybe get when the players come in wanted to see something or the manager would want to see something, so um, they'd be getting that ready for him and that sort of thing. Um, But what was always fascinating about it, both at Brighton and Southampton, was how, by speaking to these guys who do do the analysis, like how much they see that you don't really see with the naked eye as a fan watching the game. Mm. Um, And I, I miss that a lot because you don't. You just don't get that level of analysis on TV, really. Um, maybe occasionally a Monday night football kind of thing. But to sort of see that, you know, in this match, so-and-so is being asked to play narrower to free up this space and all the, all the things they've, they've planned for and prepared for. Um, and what's often interesting about it is you'll hear or read on, you know, the fans' forums and all that sort of thing. Oh, he was doing this, he should be doing that, he should be doing that, blah, 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 blah. But it's often the case that the manager's telling the player that you need to stand here or not make this run or perform this action because it's got, it's a a part of the jigsaw puzzle kind of thing of how everything comes together. Um, I watched a video recently on um, Chris Hewton talking about the uh, Manchester United game when we beat them last season. And um, I thought that was a brilliant example because it had um, Solly March came really narrow um, for Glenn Murray's goal. Yeah. And um, what it kind of did was it freed up Gayton Bong on the left-hand side. Now, obviously, most Albion fans quite rightly know that Gayton Bong wasn't the best when he got into the opposition's half. But that possibly meant they didn't get close to him. So it gave him space. And then, so by Solly March coming in and Ashley Young going narrow with him, it created loads of space down the left, which they were then able to get the ball to Bong. March then made the run wide. Bong played him with a simple sort of five-yard ball. And then the centre-backs had to come across because of the movement of the defenders, which has freed up Murray to come at the near post and clip it in. So that's the sort of thing you'd see a lot when you're looking at the analysis. and I personally always found that sort of stuff fascinating. I talked to some people about it and they find it incredibly boring and couldn't care less. <laughs> but for me, that sort of content, I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, I do as well. I think Pete is nodding. So I think we're all in agreement. That is quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I do think people don't really think sometimes they're criticising players because logically, if you're, if you're a player and you've been told to do something and you never do it, hmm. or you've been told not to do the, the specific thing, your manager will drop you. The fact that you're continually doing it and you're being kept in the team suggests that probably you're doing what you're being told to do. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you'd be dropped from the team. Peter and I are both what I would probably describe as uh, pragmatic optimists or something like that as far as football support goes. So we're not quick to jump on people's backs. We're not boo boys or anything like that. And so, for example, we were both, I think, appreciating the work that Ashley Barnes was doing with us more than a lot of other people mm-hmm. did. And I, I'm just going to mention this, but you've, you've kind of alluded to it already. Um, those elements of the job where, or the, the voluntary work you were doing where you could see those um, those maybe unappreciable elements that have taken place. And I remember you mentioned specifically Ashley Barnes during the Gus Poyet time, um, you know, a particular role he was doing. He was, he was, he was told to do a particular thing to draw away 
um, a particular marker, I think, I can't remember who the player was related to it, but so that a certain player could get into certain positions as a result and not something you'd see because the normal football fan would just follow the, the flow of the game, the, where the ball was going or, or some sort of eye-catching element. They're not going to look at the mundanity of what this player is doing to do to allow this player to have more room. And so I, I remember thinking at the time that was interesting. And you also the thing is with, with what you were doing, you had these wide angle cameras, don't you, which you don't get when you're watching a game on TV. That's the other element, which is different which yeah. people definitely wouldn't appreciate. Yeah, um, because they want to be able to see everything. So yeah. often the TV cameras are, are too close in and you need to be able to mm. see where every single player is because often the person you're looking at who might have done something great or badly is probably out of shot on the on yeah. the main camera and then you can see where the problem started by seeing by seeing the whole pitch. Yeah. That's the worst mm. thing about not being live at a game, I think, that you can't, you've no idea when a ball's played out wide until the camera catches up with it, that whether it's actually a good ball or a bad ball, or whereas when you're live and you can see the whole pitch, you can say, well, that's great, that's, or, that's mm. not so great, or whatever, straight away, and it's kind of like, you, you do just, yeah, they just focus so much on where the ball is, and that's mm. it, really, kind of on the TV. Often you'll be sitting or standing somewhere in the ground where an incident's happened off the ball, and everyone you meet in the pub after to chat about haven't seen it. Um, nowadays you can probably get loads of camera views very soon afterwards but just a few short years ago you would have maybe seen something loads of other people wouldn't have seen and if you're not at the game the camera hasn't picked it up you're not seeing it at all but uh, anyway um keeping on the theme of gus um a couple of mates of mine robin and josh um got a bit of a coup when they interviewed him on a format like this zoom um recently just a few weeks ago i know from twitter you did listen to that what did you make of that it was uh, an epic it was i think about two hours long which normally might be too long for a podcast but i think it actually suited uh what was going on there what do you make of his interview i really enjoyed it um i always um really liked gus as our manager um mm. it possibly helps that you know i was kind of a little bit behind the scenes there and as a fan being very impressionable the fact that he'd like remember my name or something would be like yes you know (laughs) (laughs) swooning in the background (laughs) but no like um he he was always um you know what what he did I think no one would argue what what he did in terms of the style of play and the way we got promoted from league one was incredible um in terms of um sort of stuff he said about the club is I heard some things when I was working there which would sort of align with you know talking about um him having like maybe more power than he should and stuff like that but then Mm. I didn't or hear the other sides of the argument or hear the whole stories I just hear like little bits and bobs um you know like Gus has had to sort out this menial task or something but then like that kind of sounds to me that I think what you'd kind of expect in terms of the club went from with Dean and a very small number of well a relatively small number of staff compared to what it's grown into now um and running you know with Dean compared to running the Amex just on a day-to-day basis never mind match day um was it a huge change um and I think that's why um you know, Paul Barber has come in to like help run the club in that respects because I think the impression I get as a fan is Tony's sort of, you know, owner puts the money in but 
day to day, he's not the guy who wants mm. to run the club because he's got all of his other interests and um, businesses and stuff. Um, it's funny that I think a lot of people are making um, assumptions on who, who Gus might have been referring to in terms of issues. Um, mm. I don't know if they, what people, when they read North Stand Chat and stuff like that, if they're necessarily wrong, but I don't recall hearing people mentioning um, him ever having an issue um, in that respect. Um, yeah. So. It sounded like, to me, one thing I would say is that uh, the, the sporting director, director of football, whatever that character at various points was, was something that may be grated with the level of power that Gus maybe had at the time. So I think it could be as much that as the other person we might be thinking of. Um, I guess it's related as somewhere in between and amongst that, isn't it, really? Um, one thing with Gus is he was such a passionate, animated character. Um, you know, he's always... I mean, I've got sort of friends I've met through the years who are very similar characteristics to him, actually, in general terms. Uh, they're not football managers, but they're, you know, they're, they're very animated, very passionate. Everything's extremely um um i don't know exaggerated almost when they're when they're talking about things so it's hard to place exactly where the truth lies but it, i don't know it seemed very interesting at least to hear his side of the story and the i think fact i thought that, with all things it probably lies somewhere as you say in the middle kind of thing of course, kind of, yeah. there's and I mean, no one's perfect yeah, in any situation probably it's yeah the other interesting thing was that robin um sorted out that meeting that, that interview um, and he said, um, when Gus was contacted, Gus said, oh, at last, someone's contacted me. He was amazed no one had tried before. Now, obviously, there might be certain people in the local press uh, or whoever else might have had agreements not to go there. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But other podcasters, even just general, rather than Albion alone, I was surprised no one had myself once I heard that he was perfectly willing to talk. He obviously knows there's certain things he can't mention to do with the specifics but uh, no, I thought it was interesting stuff. Um, moving on just one other subject before we break for um, half time. Um, the Hewton era, I mean obviously we all appreciated what he did when he came in, settled the ship, was desperately unlucky in his first full season and gloriously successful in his second getting us promoted. I don't think there's anybody who is in debate that um, that was a great time and we all love Chris for that. I think I don't think anybody will not ever remember that. But from the time he was in the Premier League, um, I think the first season again, I think people are generally appreciative of what he had to do to steady the ship in the new division. After that, into year two, um, things started to get sticky, didn't they? Around about, particularly in the second half of the year, some people wanted him sacked um, early on. As I said, Peter and I are not quick to jump on that sort of bandwagon. But in the end. Um, towards the end, I'd say around, for me, around the time the Bournemouth and Cardiff games, it became clear that, for me, that this wasn't going to go where we wanted it to go and things were going off the rails. That's how it felt to me anyway. They I were know, the games. No, no, no. They were the games where where it clearly went wrong and it nosed Oh, yeah. But yeah. You only have to look back to, I think it was March the 9th when we won at Palace and look at mm. the gap to the bottom three and our league position then. I don't, I can't remember it exactly off the top of my head, but I think it was like 12th or 13th. It was that sort of area. Um, at that point, we were looking on for possibly our highest finish since we've come back up. Um, 
possibly with a good end of season, like, you know, if we'd won those big games, challenging for our highest finish in the Prem. Um, So sometimes I feel like the sort of the narrative that, you know, the three wins in 23 and blah, 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 blah. While obviously you can't deny those facts, we were always going to have some of those games we were never going to win and we never really win now the other night as an example kind of thing. Um, it was really, I think we were doing okay until those back-to-back games really against uh, Bournemouth and Cardiff. That's where it suddenly just went really downhill really fast because when you lose that badly, everyone takes a knock, you know, the players' morale, the supporters and all that sort of thing. If you, um, if you add in that Southampton game, I think you can as well, those three home defeats, because yeah. before that, yeah, we just beaten Palace and Huddersfield. Hadn't we? Kind of we'd won two in a row. We've beaten Millwall. I'd say yeah. things were. I think the idea of Hooten going at that point was pretty unlikely. I will say. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I did never think. Well, I did think after those two games, there was a chance, a strong chance that he might be sacked around then. Um, I, I thought I was, after thought, Cardiff game, I thought he might be let go then, literally, yeah. kind of that night, it, and get in a kind of emergency person in the, for like yeah. the last five games. There'd been a rumor that um, behind the scenes there. That, the senior management was spitting feathers about one result and then we had the other one. The Cardiff game was the second one, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think straight off the back of that, if that was true, that rumour to then lose the game to Cardiff, I thought, oh no, I reckon he's going here. And but not just actually, lose to Cardiff as well. We were abject that night, weren't we? Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. I mean, 2 0 was probably the least they deserved. Talking of that um, Bournemouth game quickly, slight. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That game was when we had a, my work, we had a head research meetup where we fly in people from pretty much every country there is um, over to our studio in London. And then we take them out to watch a game. Hmm. And um, I took them all to uh, Brighton Mill Bournemouth 5. <laughs> which, um, At least they saw plenty of which goals. I'll, I'll be reminded about forever from my work colleagues. <laughs> At least they saw plenty of goals anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Moments, and, a, and a sending <laughs> off as well. You know, what more could you want from a game? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I saw me losing my professionalism a little bit towards the end of the game. <laughs> On the other side, I managed to miss that and Southampton because I had other plans and was really glad I didn't miss both of those. But, yeah, but I did okay. see Cardiff, disappointingly. Yeah. Um, so just finally on Hewton, just before we wrap up the first half. Um, so obviously it got to the end of the season and then we parsed company. Do you, what, what did you think about the handling of that? Because a lot of people... Obviously, we're generally glad he was able to see the season out and that we didn't go down doing so. Um, but do you think it was bad timing the way it was done? Um, I mean, I don't know if it had respect for City in their title challenge, whether it was they didn't want to make anything seem less than 100% commitment um, going into that game. I, I'm not sure. It's Some people seem pretty unhappy of the way it was handled. My main memory of it was shock because mm. I think most people weren't expecting it i know there were some grumblings but i don't think anyone really thought he was going to go um but really the timing of it i think was kind of perfect in terms of a brighton of albion kind of perspective because you if you know he's going you want to give the next guy as much time as possible so i think that made complete sense um i think it was also fair and respectful to chris to let him see out the season and get yeah. the job done rather than suggesting. I think if you sacked him, it's a, you know, it kind of um, tarnishes his time a bit 
more. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, you know, before the season's over, because you could say he could have taken us down or we were expecting to go down with him. He's got it on his record that he kept us up for two seasons. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's odd timing a little bit, but uh, in the end, possibly, it was probably the best timing, I think, overall. Um, yeah. Just a shame we weren't able to say goodbye in, a, in the formal sort of sense of Paul Claudian, but maybe we'll come back one day with maybe Bristol City, he's been rumoured to be linked with. Anyway, we're going to break off for the end of the first half now, um, coming back in the second half to talk about the Liverpool game, uh, general opinions on the restart, and the City preview, plus possibly the quiz if you've got time, Simon. Back in a moment. And we're back with part two, the second half whistle has blown. And we were talking about Poet and Hewton uh, just before the break. Just taking it into the question of Potter. Sai, have you taken to Graham Potter so far? And I mean, particularly the pre, pre-lockdown period, uh, well, the, the whole of the season, really. What's your take on him so far? I think he's done an even better job than a lot of people realise, because I think to change our style of play from how we were set up under Chris Hewton to the way we're playing now can so easily go very, very wrong. Um, you look at how clubs in the past have tried it. You know, Everton were probably quite fortunate when they tried it that they were starting off from a position of being like the seventh best team in the country or something because if they'd been lower down, they could have dropped. Um, obviously, Palace almost got it horrifically wrong and they had to um, save, save themselves. Um, Stop smiling, six games, <laughs> six games they gave De Boer in the end or something ridiculous yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for him to keep us up, um, playing his style of football, um, I think he's done really, really well. Um, yeah. I, I'd always think in terms of, I don't like the... Potter doing well, meaning Chris Hewton wouldn't have done well, sort of narrative that some people feel they have to spin or put on it. Mm. Because, you know, I think Chris Hewton potentially could have got us up the table um, with a different side of football, but could have got us a lot higher up the table as well. But that decision was made. We've got Potter. And what I love about Potter is you go into pretty much every single game thinking we're going to give him a game and we've got an opportunity here. When yeah. you'd you'd go to matches with Chris where you kind of knew we weren't going to have a touch of the ball, we weren't going to have a shot. Um, yeah. And this was the problem with a lot of fans who were dissenting earlier than we were about Hewton was that, wasn't it? It was just, well, I want to watch the team get results, but I want to see good football. And yeah. they, they were very frustrated. About the classic that. last season was that Tottenham away game when obviously we were in dreadful form, but I don't think we mm. barely left our own half, I don't think, for, for 90 minutes. And we somehow mm. managed to hold on until about 89 minutes because Tottenham didn't play that great. And then, Yeah, but I agree. I think Potter has done better than some people maybe even realise. Um, the fact he's brought in these youth players, he's integrated them. He's integrated a lot of other players who we've mentioned on last, last pod, I think, have not had Premier League experience and they've come in from wherever. And I think it's like nine people I've, I've listed who didn't have Premier League experience before this season. So to have come new to it himself, to have got that many people new to it on the field, to have played an entertaining brand of football and to be on the same points total as we were at the end of last season, I think you can definitely say that's a success. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think that 
there has been some mutterings from a few people about the fact we've moved back a little bit more towards the more pragmatic approach over the last few weeks since lockdown. We've been more solid at times, mm-hmm. maybe not so much Liverpool, but certainly the Norwich game, we were a bit more solid and broke on them. And, and maybe one or two games before, like Wolves away, and we were a bit like that and Sheffield United away. But I actually think that's a really good thing. I think the fact that he can vary his tactics mm-hmm. rather than just, I think in order, I mean, I, I love Chris Hughes. I think he was a brilliant job for us, but he was a bit in the Premier League, a bit one one plan there wasn't really a, a plan b as to mm-hmm. how to do it you know we'd sit back we'd soak up pressure when it came to chasing games we struggled a lot whereas pot has shown pot has shown he can actually adapt and change the way he played when it wasn't quite working with his normal approach yeah mm. i think so as well uh, and- i think uh, hewton would always sort of get the level of his players you know he'd make them hard to beat but if if you had a better team like when we we're in the championship we we're great counter-attacking we could find mm-hmm. different ways to attack teams and play with the ball um so he could do it but potter seems to have been able to sort of um almost exceed the the players in in some respects um i don't know if that makes sense but yeah um, yeah yeah he's got somehow more out of them than you possibly expect them to be able to. And we are heading yeah. for a better defensive record, assuming we don't get too hammered tomorrow, um, than before, yeah. which is ironic, considering what mm. the, the, their various ta- you know, comparative tactics and yeah. the fact that the general view seems to be that Webster, people will say, isn't as good a defender as Duffy. We yeah. actually and may end up with you, a better defence. Whether you um, got the Albion involved or not, when you're looking at relegation battles, the thing I always do is I look at the goal difference, usually ends up being a telling factor. The team or teams with the better goal difference in the bunch tend to be the teams that won't go down, not because of the goal difference itself, but because of the fact that there's something about the team, the way they play, that they're able to have the better goal difference that is also the reason why they'll be able to work their way out of trouble to grind out the results. Um, and that looks like being the case if you look at the table again this season. Um, but interesting stuff. I mean, in terms of um, how the club has handled the whole restart and how the Albion have been in this restart, Somebody on Five Live, I can't remember who it was, was saying that we're one of the best teams since the season resumed in the Premier League. Obviously, that's uh, proportional to our position. But um, how do you think we've done and how do you think we handled the whole lockdown period with the club behind the scenes as well with Paul Barber and co. Simon? Um, I thought they were brilliant. I loved the um, the regular content they were putting up on the um, mm. the... I can't remember the name of it, that Albion player, whatever it is on the yeah, on the website. Well, yeah, Revis- yeah revisiting yeah. old games and interviews with um, old players and stuff like that. I thought that was really, really good. Um, missed the football terribly while it was gone. Um, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than it's back than I almost expected to in terms of think I was a bit negative in terms of uh, behind closed doors, not being at the mm. game and that sort of thing. And obviously, I'd still love to be back at the game, but it's been it's been brilliant to have a game to look forward to every few days. Um, I think we'll, we'll miss it when it goes back to the game every other week. So I think, if anything, I've, I've watched more football this like since it's come back on than I have did before. Because having been, I was generally out on when Brighton played, and so didn't watch the other games around it, and hmm. and obviously a lot of them weren't on TV. But actually, if anything, I've probably watched more since we've been in lockdown than normal, which is ironic. And I agree with you. I think a lot of it is down to the fact we've done pretty well as well. And the other teams at the bottom may have, uh, if we if we'd struggled since lockdown, I'd have enjoyed it less. But I, I I've done. I preferred it to what I thought I would as well. Yeah. Mm. Um. 
Speaking of um, the Football Daily, uh, the Five Live stuff, Dan Byrne was on a day or two ago. Um, we'll come to the Liverpool game in a minute, but just Dan Byrne in isolation. It was interesting that he, he was asked about his left-back role and how, you know, people were apparently heckling him occasionally, saying, oh, you're on the right role. You know, opponents on the pitch, they were trying to put him off. Um, but he speaks pretty cool about it all. He was asked where he sees his position, and he said... Um, well, probably at the end of this season, I would see myself as a left back, which is interesting. Um, he seemed to be saying that sincerely as well, mm. not as a not in a flippant way. Um, so I thought that was quite an interesting element. Definitely the tallest left back around. Yeah, I mean the disparity on the two sides <laughs> yeah. in, that, in that position is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> what is that? It's a foot and three inches, I think, between the two of them. It's weird with him. I, I was convinced he didn't have. A career with us really even though we'd like we'd signed him he just wasn't having a getting a look in and you thought yeah. how how is he going to get a look in he looks almost he... like a a weird kind of panic buy because we were short on center backs yeah he didn't yeah. bring in anyway because he'd got injured and we let him stay at Wigan for half a yeah. season and, and then he not only in. gets in but he gets in at left back yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I thought he was a bit of a kind of also to bring up the numbers of homegrown players because we were looking at mm. a few championships and a half at that point when we O'Connell and Moore and he seemed like a cheaper option for the fourth choice centre back yeah and kind of that would be just to make sure we had enough homegrown players in the squad when we were like quite short on them yeah yeah but, um in terms of the games then let's get to the Liverpool match um First of all, I mean, we, it's pretty much, I think, exactly about around the sort of score I think the game probably deserved. We, we played well, but they are very good. If you factor in the mistakes we made in the opening seven minutes, where effectively we lost the game overall, um, I think that was about the reasonable result, really, on the balance of play for me. Um, what was your take on it, Simon? First, first, first of all, Graham Soonis, <laughs> we disagreed on Twitter. <laughs> he, he said after the game that, um, or probably at half-time, that um, we were naive to try and pass out from the back. Um, he did go on to say that we were fabulous in phases and various other things. So my, my opinion was I thought he was spot on in terms of his overview of the game, um, the balance of things. But you, yeah, we, we disagree really on the naivety element, I, I presume is what, what we're talking here. Um, I think it was a little bit naive, not so much the tactics actually, more the individual moments to choose to go. Um, I think Webster, for example, for the second goal, he's taking it on. I don't think it was a problem with him taking it forward slightly, but I think it was more his second touch, I think it was, that just pushed him into a bit of a pressure point, just as it became apparent that nobody was going to make enough space to decide for him to make a sideways or diagonal pass forwards. So he kind of put himself in trouble there. The first one, yeah, I think you were talking about Ryan, weren't you, and his difference in decision-making as well between another incident and the concession of the goal. Yeah. So, for me, it's not, it's not the style of play. And um, mm. as such, Potter even mentioned, said the word decisions in his post-match um, interview, I think. It's, it's the decision you make when you're trying to do that. And I always think back to um, when Gus first came in, we had Kasper Ankergren. And I used to find it hilarious, I think everyone did, how long Kasper would just stand on the ball <laughs> and do nothing and just wait for someone to come close him down. And yeah. don't get me wrong, it wasn't quite that scenario um, against Liverpool, but there was a moment, because I, I sent you the, the screenshot and video of it the other night, yeah. in it was the 30th minute or the 31st minute of the game, where every single player is pretty much in the exact same position as in when we conceded the goal in the sixth minute. Hmm. And what Ryan does is he puts his foot on the ball and he stands and he waits 
and he lets the Liverpool player close in a little bit and then he just passes it out wide to Lamptey. Nice, easy pass. We keep the ball. What's happened with the goal is he's rushed a pass into Davy Proper, who's in the triangle of Liverpool players. He's literally in their tramp and there was no need to play that pass. Yeah. Like, for me, it was just a bad decision by Ryan to play it proper. I'm not absolving proper blame there he's he's got his body shape wrong so you look he checks his shoulder and he's seen yeah. um, Kaito coming in and he's kind of I think almost like trying to shield the ball but then what he'd normally do because we've seen it before is he'll sort of almost lean on the player closing into him and roll him and turn away and would mm. have taken four of the opposition players out of the game and we'll move on and that often works really well but on this occasion he's got his body shape wrong and then he's taken a bad touch and then he's just stretched to try and poke it back to Webster and he's, he's got it wrong but he didn't have to be put in that position in the first place um, yeah. for me Ryan just needs to put his foot on the ball and wait but like it was over 10 yards I think between him and the Liverpool three sort of players all on the edge of the box he wasn't being forced to pass it so I don't see why he felt the need to pass it so quickly I thought for me it was early game not thinking maybe not you know into the run of the game he just needed yep. to take a bit more time. It's a classic case of not, not getting past the first whatever cliched amount of time, 20 minutes or whatever you want to call it, where you just settle in and just get, get your foot on the ball and at the right moments and, and settle your way into the game. Yeah, we've um, not done that with either United or Liverpool because I know we didn't, United didn't score until yeah. about 20, 20 minutes or something like that, was it? Or 15, mm. but they, we were all over the place, I think, early on against them as well. But, yeah. but you, you say about Webster, I wonder if, and I've been thinking we might play with three at the back for a while next. We started off with it in the season, we weren't quite getting the rewards, but I thought we actually played some of our best stuff with three at the back. And if mm. so players like Webster or White want to carry the ball out of defence or dunk, then actually having three centre-backs helps because you've got the extra cover there. If they do go and lose it in the halfway line, you've not just got one centre-back against the attackers, you've got the extra one, extra man there. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how responses from... Um, fans over the next week or two as well to Webster because um, first of all we you know we see how he goes um, he's a he's a blank slate then a few criticisms start to come in of, of mistakes he'd made a couple of them were very costly mistakes but you know he's learning the game and someone put a stat up this week about Dunk and I think some of some of the other players who having made similar numbers of mm. potentially or actually key mistakes in the early part of their careers with the Albion so. Um, I think the sway was going back towards everyone saying, oh, yeah, Webster's all right, actually. He started you know, post-lockdown well, and now he's suddenly made a mistake there that possibly people could call him out for again. You know, do they give him more leeway this time because they've started to warm to him? Um, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how opinion changes on him because he's got the potential to be one of the Boo Boys victims. Um, I hope not. Cause I think if if Stevens goes this summer, they'll need to find someone new, won't they? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the latest in a proud line that also includes Ashley Barnes, of course. Yeah, lost the lost Gate and Bong this season, so he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we obviously we lost the game overall three one. We were two 0 down in those what, seven minutes at the beginning. Not pretty unfortunate start. Um, I think naive individual mistakes rather than naive tactics. I agree with you, Simon, on that. Um, and I don't have to see there's any problem with us playing out from the back, but just choosing the right moments mm-hmm. and hit it long if. If there wasn't the option to play out to Lamptey, is the other thing to say there. But we got, got ourselves into the game and we scored a goal that had a lot of similarities to the Norwich goal for me. And there's an interception, there was a couple of quick passes in central, went out to the right. On this occasion, it's Lamptey rather than Moy. Goes along on the right, plays a first-time ball in, first-time shot. Um, 
it's a goal, another good goal, similar to the Norwich one from an attacking point of view at least. Would you agree with that? And what, what was your take on it? I was, I was quite excited with that goal. I thought it looked pretty good. It was great. Yeah, yeah I watched that back a few times. Um, good movement off the ball. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's you know it, that was really good. Um, not sure what I can add. <laughs> was, um, <laughs> yeah, I think we we played our way back into the into the game really well, and I suppose that's why I felt a little bit. Um, offensive about the style stuff because while Potter can definitely and we've seen him mix it up and play in different ways um, we've kind of got our core base of like how we play and you've got to give the players the confidence to to learn and grow in confidence Um, and to be honest playing at home against Liverpool in a game where we're pretty much already safe it's a great opportunity for our players to learn how to cope with the Liverpool press. And all right, they made the two mistakes that cost us two goals, but we learned from that. And as we saw in the 30th minute, Ryan did stand on the ball. So we hopefully won't make those mistakes again. And obviously it's a process, you know, the more games we do it, the better and better we're going to get. And hopefully we'll see more goals like we saw with uh, Lamptey and Trossard and, Moy and Trossard at, at Norwich. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, Lamptey, again, yet again, had a brilliant performance. He really is making an impression very quickly at a young age. Um, and the, I mean, the, the issue there for Liverpool is they, they put uh, Nico Williams, who's clearly a really good player, who is a right back but can play left. They put him on the left for, for that match. And that was going to be a challenge with Lamptey. And it was an interesting battle. Um, I mean, Carragher and the Liverpool-centric kind of punditry was all falling over Williams. And he is a good player, but I do think he struggled in places. There seemed to be almost like a cover-up amongst some some people in terms of why <laughs> the substitution happened at half-time. To me, it was patently obvious he was brought off, um, mainly because he was on a yellow card and partly because he was getting done. Not all the time, but he was struggling. And it was a bit of a baptism of fire, perhaps more than they expected. Um, nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, he's a brilliant player of Williams. He's going to be superb. But um, it was bizarre that there was, there seemed to be almost like a, a denial from all, all quarters. But Jordan Henderson said something about, in, in an interview in the week, about um, he'll learn from his mistakes in reference to the game. So clearly, you know, he, he's acknowledging that uh, he was struggling a bit. Um, what do you make of Lamptey, though? He's really given people problems, isn't he? He's even it got Vardy like in his he's made the position his own already. Yeah. Which, which is crazy because I think pre-lockdown, who would have seen Lamptey coming into the team at this this season? Yeah. I don't I, really think anyone would. Um, yeah, you might have been told last game we're safe and that sort of thing maybe, but not yeah. Yeah, now immediately pretty much. Now if he's not started, you'd be surprised, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah he, he suits, I think, how Potter's got us set up at the moment so well because he likes to play the sort of slow, um, sort of moy and gross and that sort of thing, sort of starting wide in the defensive shape, but then coming narrow. So mm. he's given us that width and he's got the whole flank to get up because we're not sort of playing with a traditional winger ahead of him. He's just got all of that room to go. So he, he suits us perfectly. Um, there's still a lot of um, tests, I think, for him to face. You know, he's, he's suited the games we've played so far and it's been brilliant and exciting to watch him play. Um, I think we need to sort of 
calm on the hyperbole sort of a, a little bit just because there'll be bigger tests um to come for it from him when um when we're on the back foot and he's got to defend first and foremost but generally the way Potts plays we like to see a lot of the ball anyway and he, mm. he fits that really really well yeah, yeah. We want to avoid the Aaron Connolly slash uh, Jake Robinson slash Jake Forstakaski slash anyone who has like yeah any young player who looks exciting and then they have a bad game and suddenly it's like oh god they're the worst player ever almost. Some yeah. people seem to insist on being. Yeah, but I actually yeah. thought um, Trossard was our man of match the other day. I, know, I think Lamptey yeah. was pretty close to him, but I think Trossard's really starting to show his attacking you know, his quality going forward which we've known all along but his consistency maybe was not quite the same as, as with a lot of wingers but yeah. I think he's really starting to, to consistently put in the performances he's cracking the being able to perform from um, from a start as well yeah. now, rather than off the bench which was the conundrum we I feel about. like with um with Trustard we we sort of in the middle of the season we're struggling to find him in the right kind of spaces on the pitch because at the start of the season when we were playing with the three at the back and the two off the central striker. Um, he was kind of played in, in, the, in the hole. And he's quite good when he gets in sort of those those narrow areas between midfield and defence and he can sort of jink and, you know, he's got great balance to go left or go right and great technique. Um, and then as the season went on, he seemed to sort of play sort of deeper and wider. And then I think the other night it was more of a sort of four three. 2-1 really with sort of um, yeah. McAllister kind of a bit deeper on the left and Trossard a bit higher and we're just getting him into those spaces where I think he can be effective and the problem is when you get when he's in spaces where he's not effective and you're not getting the ball to him he's not going to do anything um, yeah. but he was at the start of the season he was really exciting I remember a lot of people thinking like this guy could like mm. how long will he be with us kind of thing yeah and then that definitely disappeared as the season sort of yeah. went on but hopefully we're seeing seeing the resurgence of that and getting the best out of him. I've said a few times on the show already, I think if we can get one or two better attackers in the summer as well to compete with the likes of Malpe and McAllister and that sort of thing, I think he'll look even better then because sometimes mm. maybe one or two, I think proper as well, one or two, they're both a little bit ahead of players sometimes in, in, the, in terms of what they're, they're thinking of. So they, you know, the, the, what actually probably would be a good ball somewhere doesn't actually end up being a good ball because no one really kind of connects with it. Whereas if you could get a striker in who, you know, really has a guy for goal and might get 15 or whatever, they might actually help make Trossard yeah. look even better. And we've mentioned there's virtually a team's worth of people just getting their first experiences yeah. in the Premier League. And a lot and of them young as well, which is really encouraging. Young. So they're maturing and they're becoming acclimatised to the division. Um, I think with Potter also becoming acclimatised, he can provide more for them mm. per season maybe as well. Um, but I'm genuinely intrigued to see who we get in the summer, who we can bring in, because yeah. you'd feel that if you're a young attacker or young player full stop, you'd look at Brighton as quite a good prospect now in mm. terms of getting chances, in terms of the players that Potter's brought through and improved this season. Yeah, oh. indeed. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, I was listening to the Anfield Raps preview show and they were listing seven or eight of our players as players that they just generally described as good players in terms of them having to be careful how the game was to be approached, etc. But they, they listed the likes of Trossard and uh, Suba and Dunk. And, well, the obvious names you'd imagine would be the ones that came to mind. But, um, you know, it's it's good that they are actually considering us good players. I, know, I don't think they're thinking Liverpool standard, but they're, you know, knowing that we're tricky enough to give them a game. And um, I think, apart from those mistakes early on, I think we would have given them a really tight game. Yeah. Um, or if Dan Byrne had taken his chance, which is the yeah, other what-if. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. I mean, that was, if you've got more pay in there, chances are he gets it on target. 
and there was such a big gap to one side of the goal there that if he gets it on target, he's very likely to, to hit the yeah. net there with it. Burn just he just caught it awkwardly, agonising, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> I'm still picturing it now in, in pain. I mean, Lucky if, if Liverpool may would have gone up a gear at that point and won four two or something like that, but true. you never true. know. The other thing friends have discussed and with frustration was the third goal. Salah gets his, his second of the game from a header from near post on the corner. Um, the criticism being that Lamptey was beaten there. What's Lamptey doing marking someone at corners? Shouldn't he be the guy to exploit pace for a possible counter-attack rather than marking one of their key strikers? I, I read something on, online. I didn't have time to watch it back to see how necessarily accurate it was. But the suggestion was that we tend to have Lamptey on the edge of the box rather than in the box, obviously. And I think Liverpool tend to have Salah outside the box. So that was sort of became the natural um, who who he was marking because he's going to be outside the box. Um, but they they knew that it would be Lamptey marking him. So mm. they've done what they wouldn't normally do and they've got him to run in to that near post area knowing that he's going to have the advantage. So I think that was... Um, scouted in advance by by Liverpool and pulled off very yeah. well, and I imagine it's something. Now it's been exposed, we'll be aware of going forward and trying to make sure it can't happen again. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting moment, and obviously that killed the game. It ended three one, and um, well, even yeah. then, Trossard could have scored. You know, with yeah. two minutes left plus injury, and if he'd taken that, you never know. You know, it could have been an interesting yeah. last like five minutes or whatever. A couple of other positives I took from the game were, I mean, we had, I mean, nearly 50, I think we had 44, 45% possession. A lot of teams playing Liverpool this season have had a lot less than that because they've been more cautious and clinical than they were perhaps last season where they were just more flamboyant, I think, broadly speaking. Um, but to get 44, 45% was pretty decent. But also, interestingly, they had four bookings to R1, which I think was an interesting mm-hmm. stat. Um, you know, it, it, it speaks volumes to how well we'd given them a game at least um didn't get didn't any use in the end but nonetheless i thought that was an interesting stat um you, you can see how we can get results in these games now just about whereas um, without yet yeah, again i don't want to criticize chris Hutton, but as we were saying earlier it's you it probably was just a two nil once the other opposing scheme scored you were never going to get a result against someone at liverpool or i mean even hmm. even away to someone like arsenal where we've sat back at home we were a bit better but away we sat back but yeah. this year we you know, we do we do intend to try and get a result for every game, and even when we got stuff for another city, you know, Guardiola was very complimentary out from memory yeah. of uh, well, the way speak, we played. Speaking of City, we've got them coming up at the weekend. Um, what do you think? How, how can this game be won or lost, Simon? Can it be won? <laughs> <laughs> They're on fire at the moment, aren't they? Unfortunately. Yeah, I'm. I'm not massively optimistic, but you never know. You know what? City rotate a lot. Not for their rotation options are bad players. Um, they haven't got much to play for, really. Um, City, you, you've got hope, haven't you? <laughs> um, we showed against Liverpool we can play football. If we can play like we did against Liverpool, not make those silly mistakes, yeah. who knows? But I think most people would probably expect us to to lose by a couple of goals. Yeah, and I think City rotated out some of the probable first choices for the last game, which is ominous because I think Pep, although he lost heavily, he was very complimentary about us. And I think he realised on another day that could have been closer. 
so he's not going to make the mistake of yeah. taking it lightly. The big one is they played Otamendi and Stones the other night, which is disappointing yeah. because they uh, yeah. we could have done with playing them rather than probably uh, Laporte and Garcia, who we're probably going to face, I assume, tomorrow. Yeah. Well, the we'll big see. We won't be that defence. We won't dwell on it anymore because um, obviously, you know, we can, we can picture what might happen. We hope um, we'll give a good fist of it and maybe get a result. We'll, we'll see. One thing for sure, we th- these two games we've gone into off the back of having got the results at Norwich, I think we're pretty safe. I had a look at some... Um, um, the, what are they call them, the table calculators for the rest of the season, which I just did before the podcast. And without boring you with the details, essentially um, getting as ridiculous a set of results as possible, including us losing 6-0 to City, just to see if we can work on the goal difference. Um, we could still go down, but we would be, um, by my calculation, somewhere between two, three and four points um, into the relegation zone if every single result goes... Uh, against us, and that includes um, the, the um, one on uh, the, the six-pointer games going in the worst possible combination of, yeah. of uh, results. So it's. Um, it's I'm, I'm pretty confident we're safe now. Yeah. Bournemouth are still got to go to Man City for starters. Yeah. So assuming yeah, I mean, they lose that, they've got to win all uh, three of their remaining games to go have any chance of going right. above us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was predicting Bournemouth to beat City, Watford to win one 0 at City. You know, that's the sort of predictions <laughs> I was putting in to get to us to get relegated. So I think we're safe. Um, I'm pretty sure we are, but it'd be nice on that basis to at least relax into the game and see how we can do, I guess. And uh, fingers crossed for that. Um, just quickly on one other subject before we get into the lovely quiz, Simon, in part three. Um, so last bit for this is just one thing we didn't talk about from our backgrounds supporting together is uh, you've got a small amount or a partial amount of uh, German blood in you, haven't you, from one side of your family, uh, from the Bremen area. And as such, you took me to Bremen on a trip to go and see Werder play a home game. And also, I think, Hanover play a home game. Uh, loved it. Great time we had there, wasn't it? I know you've been back since, but that was a great trip, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. I always look back fondly on that. Every time yeah. I'm in Bremen, I weirdly think of when we, we were there and around the places we were, uh, were drinking and, and that sort of thing. Drinking the oil of the lamp or <laughs> yeah. whatever it was at that pub, which turned out not to be alcoholic despite tasting. So, yeah. It's a great city. And as such, as both are German teams. Um, and they survived. They won the playoff. So perfect timing to get you on this was, wasn't it, really? Yeah. They, they won the playoffs a few days ago, So, uh, which is an interesting concept. They have a relegation promotion playoff between their bottom third top. Um, we came through against Heidenheim and Survival. I think the longest-serving team in the Bundesliga, aren't they? I think. Or something I like that. Oh, yeah, I think they've been... Yeah, I went over there in December and saw them lose um, 5-0 at home to Mainz. So um, yeah. that wasn't wasn't too great. They've, to be honest with you, they've been terrible this season. Um, the issues thought, have been defence and injuries, they? I think, ultimately. I think the issues have been everything. They've just... <laughs> honestly, they've, they've had some bad seasons in recent years. Um and managed to pull away from it and, and get themselves safe. I really thought they looked doomed this year. They really looked hopeless. Um, and then they had um, Cohen to play um, in their last league home match, I think it was, who hmm. just so happened to be the rivals of um, Dusseldorf, who did did drop, and um, they didn't put up much of a fight, and uh, Bremen smashed them. Um, oh. And then won the... Uh, Won the playoff, um, which was a, a big relief. But yeah, I, I try and get over there and watch the get, watch a game 
every other season or so. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, love love going out there for the games. Yeah, it's great. I'll have to get over at some point when we can as well for my second visit. But uh, I've got the scarf in the meantime. And there's a good German pub actually. It should meet up maybe to watch if you're in London sometime to watch a game there. Um, it has all the beers. <laughs> I think I might have been there with you before. Yeah. I vaguely recall having the worst hangover of my life. <laughs> that does seem to happen when I come up with people <laughs> for drinks. Uh, it's curiosity, isn't it, really? I'm not quite sure how that happens. <laughs> I think we tried every different type of beer they had going, and that might have been a mistake. Yeah. Oh, blimey. <laughs> yes, I think we did, didn't we? Anyway, well, well fingers crossed for Werder as well for next season. Uh, the German season is over. Ours isn't yet, but we're going to see how it pans out. Um, right, we're going to take our second break and go into some extra time shortly when we will be doing the quiz. And we're also bringing in a Liverpool fan, Alex, to quickly give his opinion on the game from the weekend, uh, from the midweek as well. So stay tuned. Back in a mo. Okay, we're back with extra time. Uh, the third part of this podcast, where we're now joined by Alex. And I'm not going to try your surname. What's your surname, Alex? Uh, it's Thupos. Oh, it's Thupos. I thought it was longer than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's your Greek uh, surname, because you're part Greek, part Finnish, aren't you, I think? Is that right? I'll tell you what, recently I found out that I'm actually quarter Greek, quarter Italian and half Finnish, did an ancestry oh. DNA test, and I was, I was delighted, to be fair, to be Italian. <laughs> Brilliant. And I see you've got a cat as well, which is just yes. and close up on the screen. You've come at the right time. <laughs> well, oh, what a cutie. Uh, well... Alex is a Liverpool fan. We just invited you on, Alex, to get your views on the game as well um, from midweek. 3-1 win for you guys. Nothing riding on the game itself as such, apart from you chasing your points record tally. But what did yeah. you make of the match overall? Um, so, so for me, I thought it was a really open game. Um, there was definitely a point where I was a bit on the edge of my seat. I was like, this can kind of go, this can kind of go anywhere. Um, I wouldn't say I was that much on the edge of my seat, given the season's kind of done, but at the same time, you want to win every game, right? Mm, absolutely, um, it's, yeah. It's kind of the same for Brighton, right? You're, you're in a decent position now? Yeah. Yeah, I did one of the table calculators, and it's, it looks pretty pretty unlikely that we, we could go down with any scenario now. Um, but nonetheless, obviously, we're after the points. We didn't help ourselves. We gave two really early, quick mistakes, as, as you would have seen. If... And we won't talk about the details of the match, really, because we've done that already. But um, in terms of if we hadn't made those two mistakes, what's your view on it? Do you reckon we could have eked something out of the game there? Because on the face of it, it would have been one all, but obviously you guys would have been chasing the game more then for, to get the win, wouldn't you? Uh, 100%. Watching the game, um, I wouldn't say you guys played that badly. There were a couple of mistakes, as you mentioned before. But you really you came to, you came to win, really, like, which, which I was saying before. Um, I kind of respect that. I respect that attitude. It was a good game. Um, and yeah, very open. A lot of chances. I think there was one, um, there was obviously the one chance where Wijnaldum kind of backhilled it across the box and then Neko Williams has like saved that last minute, cleared it, um, which is probably a certain goal. And there was the other one where Morpé, I don't know how to say his name, Morpé. Yeah, Morpé. Morpé, yeah. Um, he, kind of, he kind of wasted his chance because I can't remember if it was Cater, but someone didn't get rid of the ball properly, sort of distracted him. And then he was only a metre or two from the goal. So like, anything could have happened, really. And 
yeah. until until it was three one, it could have easily been a draw or Brighton yeah. could have won. And Daddy Longlegs, Dan Byrne, missed that chance and close in, didn't he? The left back, well, centre back, come left back, who um, just scuffed one really close. Oh yeah, in. and then Gomez kicked it out. Yeah, he was he wasn't it. even on the goal line. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, entertaining game. I think the neutrals seemed to enjoy the game. There was goals in it all over, and um, we'll see what happens. Anyway, as a Liverpool fan then, I mean, how was that whole thing with lockdown for you? Because you must have been getting really anxious. Um, we should explain Alex is in my Sunday football team as well. Um, so there's yeah, a load shout, of... Man shout out to Finchley, Finchley Hibernians. Yeah, exactly. And um, there's quite a few Man U fans. We had a couple on previous episode recently. And they and others were mercilessly trying to tease you about the game getting, the season getting curtailed and the title being either written off or asterisked. Um, were you really squirming <laughs> as that was going on? I was, I was given endless grief. Um, <laughs> it was a massive relief and a bit of a surprise and shock to actually see that they were going to carry on with the season and we could win it properly. Because all this talk about asterisk and yeah. etc. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't enjoyable at all. Um, because everyone knew the season was done pretty much. I think we needed five points from our remaining eight games. And that would assume that Man City are going to win every game. And right now, we are, I think it's 23 points on top of Man City. So they've actually only gained two points on us in three, four games. I don't know how many games are left. Four, yeah. In four games, they've gained... Or five, yeah, and that's with the game in hand. They've been um, two, they've been two on us, so mm. yeah, so not bad going. And then we said off air that you were in, um, you, you travelled up for the Champions League celebrations last season um, from London, where you live. But um, it's going to be uh, probably no celebrations going on officially <laughs> for now, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But um, would you be going up if they do a parade at some point, uh, specifically I, in the I'd future? I definitely like to. I had, I think it was May the eighteenth. Booked, booked off from work. Um, yeah. I, was, I, was spe- I was specifically planning on going there. And I booked a ho- like a hotel with cancellation, like many yeah. months in advance, kind of January. I was like, if we win it, then, if we don't win it, then I can just cancel the hotel. And I think it was like forty quid or something. It was yeah. some student place, but I was like, at the end of the day, I just want a room in Liverpool, kind of for cheap, for an affordable price. Because I think they were going for like thousands of pounds, like in the months <laughs> leading up to it. Yeah. And you said for the Champions League one, there was an estimated one million people um, that turned up. Yeah, That's and I was standing in a crowd of people for four hours waiting for the team bus. Um, yeah. But we were re- I was really close to the front in the end, but it was just endless chanting, a really good atmosphere. And didn't you have um, that Mo Salah lookalike near you? You showed me a video clip. Yeah. Was that, was that actually your video clip? Yeah, no, it was my video. He was, he was walking around and everyone was just like rubbing <laughs> his head and, um, and chanting Mo Salah chants. That was quite funny, and it was quite an uncanny resemblance, actually, as well. <laughs> well, um, well done on the title win. Uh, good luck for next season. I don't think we'll be troubling you at the top end. Um, <laughs> but if we can get some points off you, that would be nice. Um, stay with us. We'll see, because we're going to give Simon the quiz now for this final part. Out of interest, uh, if you quietly to yourself, see how many points you would have got here, and we'll, we'll, we'll compare it. Uh, but Simon, are you ready for your quiz time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Face says no, his mouth says yes. Right, let's see. Let's see how we go with that. Okay, um, it's 15 questions. Well, it's, it's 11 questions. One of them has five points to it. We'll go straight into it, save time. So, are you ready, Sai? Yeah, go for it. Here we go. Question one then. As you'll probably know, or you maybe you will, Gareth Ainsworth is the longest serving current manager amongst the 91 
Premier League and EFL clubs. But who is the second longest serving at the moment? And I'll tell you while you think about it, seven years and a matter of a certain number of days is the figure. Ainsworth is, um, I think, 18 days longer in the job than this guy, who in turn is 18 days longer than the next guy. And I'll give you a clue, the next guy is Sean Dyche, so it's not him. I was going to say Sean Dyche. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd narrow it down for you. So between Gareth Ainsworth and Sean Dyche. Tough one. wonder if Alex will get this. We'll find out in a minute. <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> I can't think of that one. Well, we can come I'll back really to obvious. it. We'll, we'll give it a little bit of pause time. I'm keeping an eye on you to make sure you're not Googling, um, which is the beauty of Zoom rather than audio calls. You um, watch out. You don't want Robin protesting about people getting too much chance. Yeah, you do. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a bit of time to think about that. We'll go on to the next one. Um, these ones I won't give you any more time on there. So question two, what was the final score via the golden goal clincher in extra time when Liverpool defeated Alaves in the Europa League final in 2001? Um, I think it was well, Europa League. It was actually the UEFA Cup probably then. But um, anyway, uh, what was the score? It was a very high scoring game. Alex will probably know this one. Um, although he's shaking, he's shaking his head. Isn't he? <laughs> but anyway. I haven't got a clue. If you say high scoring, I'll go for four three. Not a bad effort. You weren't that far off, actually. It's 5-4. Yeah. The decider being an own goal scored by Delphi Getty, I'm sure you'll all remember. <laughs> well, he will more than we will. Okay, so zero out of one. We'll move on to the next one. From which French club did Leicester City sign Angolo Kante? I knew this because I emailed the club to say he's a good player. We should look at him. And they got the reply saying, thanks for the info. We're aware of him. Um... We appreciate any information as long as you're not a scout asking for money <laughs> or something like that. Um, but which French club? Initials SM and then there's the, the main name, which is the bit I need. It's, it's, not, it's an obscure one. North French, northern French kind of um, coast, I think. I'm guessing you don't know from that, Luke. <laughs> not when you narrowed it down there. No. Um, it's not that well known this was one of your tougher questions if that's uh, any consolation um, shall I give you it? yeah it's um, Khan or Khan C-A-E-N however you pronounce that okay zero out of two but we've still got plenty of hope ahead next question uh, who currently holds the record for the most England caps awarded to an outfield player Rooney yep spot on he's on the board next one who are, and this is in your non-league specialism from the past of their sports interactive, who are the Spitfires currently in the National League system? This is very close to, um, to something you were talking about earlier as well, in terms of geography. Eastley. He's right, yeah. Eastley indeed. Used to have a Spitfire factory there apparently. Okay, you've got two so far. On to the next one. Which team currently in the National League setup play their home games at the recently built, or fairly recently built, Broadhurst Park in Moston, to the north of the city in which it is situated? And think of our previous away days, albeit not to that stadium, if that's a clue. Uh, Where did we go on our away day travels? Think non-league grounds. 
albeit not that ground. Where Brighton went and they're now... Yeah, Brighton, like... yeah. yeah. I'm struggling to think who's in, the... who's in there now. It's not... They're in the National League in general, not necessarily the National Prem. It's North West. <laughs> Final clue. <laughs> um, Stockport? Uh, fair, fair try, but it's FC United of Manchester. Oh, of course. That's the name of the ground, yeah. Okay, on to the Albion questions, three of these. Which Albion defender has scored three goals and provided three assists for the team this season? at least according to the BBC page I inspired earlier on today anyway, and has recently been overtaken by Wilfred Zahar in the scoring stakes, <laughs> and he's a defender. <laughs> Lewis Dunk. It is, yes. Okay, next Albion question. Can you name any of the scorers when we travelled up together to the frozen north to watch the mighty Albion take on the aforementioned FC United of Manchester in that FA Cup replay? Remember, the game was 4-0, so you've got four possible answers because they're four different scorers. Elliot Bennett scored. Yes, there we go. You're on the board already. That's that's all we needed. Any idea of the others out of interest? Um, Sad Dad to get one that day. He did, yes. Well done, Peter. You've got a point. <laughs> yeah, the other ones were Calderon and Sparrow. And for what it's worth, you'll be excited to know Mauricio Tarico scored our late equaliser in the earlier game, the first game. I was going to say Tariko. Yeah. Obviously, it's wrong, but yeah. Yeah, but you've got Bennett, so you're okay. So you've got four so far. Final Albion question. Where is former Albion uh, legend Chris Holroyd <laughs> currently play, playing his trade? Again, it's Northwest. I've rarely heard the word legend lose, used so loosely. <laughs> <laughs> that was very loose, wasn't it? Yeah. Pinhead himself. That's it's so two, annoying. I remember. Two word, two word name, the club. Um, it's a Northwest team. Um, he moved from Chorley, which was his last club before this. I don't know if you were trying to think of Chorley, but he moved to somewhere else. Is it non-league? Yeah. They're in the Northern Premier Premier Division. Northern Premier Premier... Wow. Okay. But they've got... It's a two-word name they've got. Um, slightly odd. Sounds a bit. Um, uh, sounds like it could be from not from England, but from somewhere else in the British Isles, for example. Uh, from that smirk, I'm guessing Peter knows what it is. No, no, I'm, I'm just trying to work uh, it out from your. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's really annoying is I remember recently seeing him on a team sheet or something at a match. Yeah. I was looking at. I actually picked this based on the fact you did your non-league stuff for Sports Interactive. And uh, while we were chatting, I discovered you're not doing it. Yeah. Might make this a bit more difficult. That's that why was, I gave you That was clue. briefly for a long yeah. time ago. Um, but um, uh, I might have to... Might, yeah, it's it's yeah, it was Stalybridge Celtic, as, a, as it's apparently pronounced. You're learning something here, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> it's really elitist uh, questioning here. So you're on four out of eight... Um, at this point, I'll just come back to that first question. Any ideas on that one? That was to remind you the second longest serving of the 91 managers at the moment behind Gareth Ainsworth by 18 days, but ahead of Sean Dyche by the same amount. I actually think I do know this one as well. I think I've worked it out. Yeah. Um, just as a slight clue, as my cat has just got her horse stuck in my top, which is rather awkward. Where I'm 
<laughs> Russ is literally being dragged off screen now currently. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was definitely more of an intrusion than Alex's cat. <laughs> and she's ginger as well, which goes with the theme of the beards and also the top I've got on uh, today. <laughs> um, Alex, by the way, also has a bit of a Barnett affiliation, Peter. I'll mention at this point more. Simon's painting himself through this. <laughs> um, Alex follows uh, follows the bees. Looks like you're not. No, I, uh, can you I may guess? not be in the job that much longer. See, I think he's already gone. But a bit of me was wondering, uh, Lee Johnson. But he's gone, hasn't uh, he? The other day, yeah. got sacked. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think. Oh, sorry. Am I gonna? I went butt in. Well, should we? Any, any chance since I, or should we leave it? I think we have to leave that one. Yeah. Okay, over to you then, Peter. I Did think you know? I know it because because they're linked, because Eddie Howe left Burnley to go to Bournemouth to take over at Bournemouth, and then Dye should have pointed at Burnley afterwards. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 I was trying to work oh, it out, yes. but it's because the coffee <laughs> left. Yeah. yeah, it took me ages to remember that, but of course, yeah, he left Burnley to go to Bournemouth, didn't he? So, by definition, yeah. it must be Eddie Howe, logically. On that matter, by the way... Um, he, uh, Graham Potter is already 43rd in the list of 91, which is ridiculous. He needs yeah. to be in charge for a year in about 50 days. It's absolutely crazy, but there we go. Okay, so we've got four out of nine. The missing link question, I think you'll get this one, Simon. This will be easier. So fill in the blank from this list. Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich, blank. Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, Stuttgart, Bayern Munich, Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, Dortmund. And then eight by Munich. So I'm sure you know what this is. But who's the missing link? I'll just list the first part of that just so you can get it. So it's basically from 2000 onwards in terms of what we're talking about here. So it's Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich, blank. That's the one we need. And then there's a couple of Munich, Stuttgart, and a whole load of others. So um, Werder Bremen, Bundesliga. It is Werder, the mighty Werder. He's on to five. Well done. <laughs> and we finish uh, with the Who Am I rounds. Again, I think you might do okay on this one. Let's see. So, first clue. I was born in Uruguay in November 1967. Gus? It is Gus, yes. <laughs> Get the full five points. Take him on to ten. Almost caught you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, Gus Poyets. Uh, he's slightly older than I thought he was, actually. But anyway, um, yeah, 67. Second clue would have been I was a midfielder who began with short spells at Grenoble and River Plate before moving to Spain to spend seven years at Real Zaragoza. Third clue was in 97, I moved to Chelsea on a free transfer and helped them win the FA Cup and UEFA Cup. Um, Winners Cup, sorry. Uh, the fourth clue was in 2001, I moved to Spurs where I completed my career playing. And the fifth clue was he took the job at Brighton in November 2009, which I think you would have definitely got it on that one, if not before. So you scored 10, a respectable 10 in the end. Not too bad. Uh, well done on that one. <laughs> Excellent work. Good, good, good. Um, so you're not wooden spoon holder. You'll be glad to know. There we go. Alex, how many of those would you have got? Did you get the, Euro the Liverpool question first? I did not. I was, I was only seven years old at the time, so you have to let oh. me off. Fair enough. Um, I got the dunk one. Yeah. I thought, that, I thought that, that was pretty obvious. That was the first name that came to my head. I was almost double going to second guess myself on that. And then yeah. um, Werder Bremen. I got. I actually thought the first one was Sean Dyche. And as soon as you said that, I, I had no clue. Yeah, yeah. That's it. 
Yeah, well, there we go. Well, decent, not too bad, considering the specialisms of the questions. I think we did all right there, guys. Um, Simon, you're on 10. We'll add you to the list. Um, in general, thanks for coming on, even though I've subjected you to our painful quiz <laughs> competition. Um, uh, we'll hope to have you back on at some point as well, where we can chat about the Albion again. Um, we won't do the quiz for you next time, just to make it easier. Um, Peter, as always, thanks. And yeah, thank right. you to Alex for joining us for you to get your views on the Liverpool game. Thank Perhaps you. we'll get you on next season, now that we look safe and sound to be back in action again when we finally kick off in well, September, isn't it, I think? So thanks, guys. That brings the yes, end please. of the podcast. Um, cheers. Up the Albion. Stand or fall. Cheers, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.